welcome to the Factale Investment Podcast. We've got a big episode about real estate for you coming up. A little later on, I'm having my buddy Catherine Cashmore come on to give us an update on the market. So we're at the end of the first quarter of the year. She's going to tell us what's going on in the real estate market. And we thought we'd do that because some of the big banks have come out recently and said that the market's going to go down and rising interest rates are a problem. Uh, and that might worry you if you actually pay any attention to their garbage. Here I have a book called We Are Rent, book two by Fred Harrison. Uh, you should read it. Why? Fred Harrison is the most knowledgeable person about the land market in the Western world. Uh, I've read all his books. Um, he's been writing about land and the property cycle since 1983, and he's been scarily accurate in what he's been able to predict. So. In the early 80s, he predicted the real estate downturn in the late 80s, early 90s. Then in 1997, he said the same thing will happen again in 2008 if we don't change things. And it happened again. We got him on, Catherine and I, for our readers in 2020. And he said, property is going to go through the roof if the government's print so much money and prop it up with all the different uh, stimulus packages. We put out the report uh, saying so. Hardly anyone bought it. Nobody believed it. Fred was right, property went through the roof and it can still go up. And he explains in part of this book why that is. Now, I should say that Fred doesn't necessarily, well, he definitely doesn't see rising property prices as a good thing, but he shows why that is. But uh, if you're an investor, you've got to deal with the world as it is. Um, so there's still plenty of opportunity in real estate and that includes Australian real estate. So I got Catherine on to give us an update on what she's seeing on the ground um, and how you can take advantage of it if you want to get in the market. So here's Catherine Cashmore, who is a buyer's advocate, uh, president of Prosper, which is a real estate organization for tax reform. And I shouldn't call it a real estate organization. It's a tax reform group. And she's also writes with me at Fat Tail Media. So here she is, Catherine Cashmore. Welcome to another edition of the Fat Tail Investment Podcast. And today we're having our first return guest, and it's my colleague and good friend, Catherine Cashmore. Catherine, how are you going? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks, Cal. How are you? Very well. So the reason we've pulled you back is we're getting a lot of questions about real estate, as we always do here in Australia. Um, from your perspective, and sorry, let me just backtrack a bit. We're having the big banks come out saying they expect the market to fall or it's potential that it will fall. I've noticed on the stock market, a lot of the real estate stocks uh, have come off the boil a little bit, um, like the financiers and uh, I'm thinking of there and uh, some of the other ones. Builders, for example, have come into a, a few tricky spots. You and I are both very positive on the real estate market. Do you think there's a bit of a mismatch between the general perception and what you see coming in the next four or five years? Yeah, well, the banks have never been great, have they, on their forecasts? Let's face it. I mean, they were completely inaccurate during COVID. And then they, they uh, first of all, the market was going to crash by 30%. And then as soon as they realized that their forecast wasn't working out, a little bit like a weather report, they looked out the window and the the rain that they'd forecast actually looked like it was a it was sunshine. They flipped those forecasts, and then we had them giving random forecasts about you know we're we're going to see ten percent over the next three years, or uh, they were all underestimated anyway. The forecasts that were flipped, and 
yeah so then we got it then the market started to take off everything seemed sunny and then as soon as you know there were any hints of interest rate rises as if interest rates are the only things that affect the property market we saw a flip again so um I think Westpac had come out and uh, CB, I think they've all come out and said to some extent or another, there's going to be a fall in the market um, from 2022 into 2023, you know, anywhere from 10% upwards. And yeah, it's just like, I, I don't know how much they pay the economists, at, uh, the big banks, but yeah, I wish I got paid that for <laughs> whatever for they get wrong. paid to, to give, because our forecasts have been, bang on accurate in ctnf since you know since we went into 2020 and and yeah we, we really stuck by the forecast that we're given and it's turned out to be accurate and um yeah i think both of us would like to be on the wage <laughs> of what they are what all the senior economists are so you and i did a, a recording last night for our paid subscribers and some of the questions were centered around on where to focus within australia um I think it's fair to say Sydney and Melbourne are moderating. So uh, people listening here, where should they be looking? Yeah, and that was another accurate forecast we made because we said that Sydney and Melbourne would pull back. Um, you know, it would have like a two-year run, three-year run, and then it would pull back a little bit. Not so much as to go backwards in price, but just soften. And then, of course, the states and territories that are smaller by population, we always had forecasts for a big, a big boom and you're seeing that you know taz has been going very well really since around 2015 um which <laughs> which reminds me we we well i, I wasn't writing cycles trends and forecasting but i did a podcast for you back at you that did, time yes which you yeah. can still go and listen to if you're listening to this it's still out there on the web yeah yeah the newman show at that yeah. point but <laughs> and uh yeah called tasmania at that time i actually thought it would have pulled up by now but of course the covid stuff is just has just rocketed it forward again. And so properties are flying in Tasmania, South Australia. Obviously, you've got the floods in Brisbane, which um, will affect those flooded areas, but I don't. It's a very different uh, uh, stage of the cycle than we were in when we had the last Brisbane floods in 2011. I mean, 2011 was a softer market. It was, um, you know, we rocketed up to a peak in 2010 and then, um, on the back of the first home buyer boost. And then 2011 through to around mid-2012, um, the markets went nowhere. And of course, in the first half of the cycle that we talk about in cycles, trends and forecasts, the smaller states by population generally are pretty weak. You know, they show very weak price growth, if any growth at all. Um, now, Brisbane obviously has got, it's part of Southeast Queensland, which is getting the, the lion's share of population growth. It's got very low vacancy rates. The property prices have rocketed ahead. So property that's not in those flooded areas is still performing pretty well. I don't see it. It's going to be majorly affected by the recent floods. But our pick has always been um, Western Australia because of the commodity cycle and the commodity boom, which... Well, you've certainly written a lot about it, um, but yeah, we have that picked down. And well, I should say when when we talk a little bit about the, the the big banks calling the market down, one thing that guys like Louis Christopher at SQM are going around saying rents are exploding all over the country, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, regional Australia is basically full up 
there's there's no more competition available. I mean, the rent's pretty much sitting on zero in many, many areas. But even in the capital cities, you know, you've got rents hovering around 1%. I know myself in Perth because I've done a little bit of buying over there and um, it's a really difficult market to get in for rentals, but the property market is turning over very well as well. I mean, properties will come onto the you know, they'll be advertised on the Thursday prior to the weekend opens. And then after the first open at the weekend, they're gone. Like offers are already on the table. So, you know, all of that is uh, the indicators. And this is why it gets so confusing when you read the big banks forecasts, because you just wonder what they're looking at and, you know, the, how they can be so wrong. But all the indicators on the ground for Perth just look extremely bullish you know you've got um as you said rising rents which always feeds into rising prices because the earnings of the land are increasing um you've got record low um, vacancy rates your stock on market is still very tight the, the turnover the time that the stock is on the market is um, very short so days on market as i said properties come off they go off very quickly come on they go off very quickly and then you've got everything else that's feeding into the economy so um you know, in regard to Perth, obviously it's it's benefiting from the mining boom, but there's also a shortage of workers in that area, and there's wage rises. Um, they they've just opened the gates for immigration. McGowan is spending millions on attracting as many skilled migrants as possible. Then there's infrastructure spending that's uh, happening, and yeah. So I mean, just to look at interest rates alone and say, well, a, a marginal shift in rates is going to pop the the you know we've reached the peak, and the property market's going to plummet down 10 you know anywhere between 10 and 20 percent is is difficult to conceive yeah absolutely and again we talked about last night how there's a constant thing in the mainstream press about focusing on interest rates but just to the the people that do worry about interest rates um do you see a, a sharp rise in those or do you think they'll stay relatively modest as they have been recently? Yeah. Well, as you know, because, you know, we've really had quite a bit to say about interest rates as well. And that is that, you know, you always get a, a marginal rise in interest rates when the, um, you know, when the in the second half of the cycle, it's expected. So a, a rise in interest rates or a marginal shift in interest rates wouldn't affect the property market significantly. It does you know, make people a little bit nervous. Obviously, it reduces borrowing costs for a number of people. So it can have an effect on softening the market. But generally, when you look back at interest rate rises, as the interest rates rise, property prices rise historically. Um, you know, it's <laughs> it's not a case that interest rates rise and then property prices you know, fall backwards. It's just that's that's uh, generally doesn't happen until you get to the end of the cycle and you see very sharp and frequent in, increases in interest rates until it gets to the point where the uh, well you know through the property speculation the productive sectors of the economy get get eroded away through the period and then you know that finally the interest rate rises you know push the debt above people's ability to pay. But I'm right just, now, but just let me jump in there. I'm assuming that. If you're an investor, you're looking, say, in Perth, the rising rents would probably cover the, the cost of the whatever the modest increases in interest rates, wouldn't it? Well, right now, if you if you get into Perth's market, and this is you know probably another reason why I was saying it's difficult to conceive it just falling back, is that already when you get in, yeah, the properties are positively geared in many uh, circumstances, depending on what your your borrowing capacity is. So. Um, 
and obviously in an inflationary environment where you've got population growth going into a market that's already saturated, you know, that's, that hasn't got any accommodation available and you can't build out accommodation quick enough to account for the shift in population, then absolutely you would expect that to continue. All right. Um, so if someone's listening to this, the, we're putting forward the case that there's still lots of opportunity in the real estate market if you can get the financing and go. Maybe look at Western Australia if you are willing to go out of state, if you're not from Western Australia. Um, what are the types of properties that you would suggest someone look at? Um, yeah. the uh, You know, it's, it's really what we always talk about. I mean, obviously, if you're just looking for to maximise your capital growth, then the thing that you've got to go for is something with a good land component. I always talk about, um, you know, land is worth what it's zoned. So it's got to be a a land that is, you know, land that's zoned for subdivision, a land, a property that um, you can subdivide into four, averse to a block of land that you can subdivide into two. The one that you can subdivide into four is going to be worth more on the market. So those areas, you know, those, and, and Perth is a little bit behind in its development cycle, just to sort of say this, they're still, suburbs where there's just predominantly you know uh just suburban housing you know where there's not been a lot of subdivisions but in the eastern states where there have been a lot of subdivisions getting into those suburbs where there's an increasing number of blocks that are being split up and you're buying a block that hasn't been split up you are by definition buying something that is reducing in supply because obviously as the population growth continues as prices continue to go up and developers see that they can make a profit then they're moving in to it, to develop the land and uh you know like i said the the unbroken blocks therefore become more valuable and more scarce as the development cycle progresses but out of all the stats if, you know that that you you get, you know, when you look back at the core logic, medium rises of houses compared to units. And by units, I mean anything that is on um, a subdivided plot of land. So it could be a townhouse, it could be a villa unit, it could be an, an apartment. Houses have always outperformed. And so by that, I would say, you know, the older suburban house, maximize the land component, subdivided block of land in a decent location in an established suburb that is already built out and well facilitated that should really prove the best thing that you can best property that you can buy to give you that growth in your portfolio then obviously as you build up your portfolio and you want to increase your cash flow you can divert from that and look at other options but that's always my advice um, for maximizing growth okay um I'm just trying to think here because we're so immersed in what's going on in the real estate market. It, sometimes it's hard to separate yourself from, you know, how people view things uh, from, from outside the little bubble that we live in, if you like. We had a question last night, actually talking about a guy who was being pitched in Dubai. Interesting, interesting enough. I assume at this stage in the cycle, are we going to see more sprookers, you know, in quotation marks come out and push um, you know, trying to monetize the property cycle in speculative ways, if you like. Yeah, that was an interesting question um, last night. So this is somebody that was getting emails and that was saying, oh, you know, buy and buy and your yields are 8%. And obviously we saw a spat of that happen in the US. So after the 2008 
in the first half of this cycle, there were a lot of US property spruikers saying, you know, come on, get into this market because the prices are now really good and uh, the yields are great, you know. And so it always gets very tempting because the real estate looks a lot cheaper than it does here. Um, I shared a story last night about a US investor that I've had quite a few dealings with who did purchase in Dubai actually a few years ago. And um, that was fine. He bought an apartment, but he never got the title to that apartment. It was never exchanged as it is here. You know, he never had a, had a title to it, which meant that he couldn't sell it. Um, he wanted to renovate it. It was it was never legally his without the title. And he went through a long, drawn out battle of years in order to resolve that problem um, and finally did. But it was an extremely stressful period. So there's always a warning around, you know, going into areas where you're not familiar with the legislation and you're not familiar with the, you know, you're getting pulled in by someone who's obviously spruiking and getting a, a cut um, in commission from you purchasing there, but you, you just don't have any independent advice about the location. So whilst I'm not against um, investing overseas, I think it can be very a very successful plan, particularly if you are searching for yield. There's all sorts of risks that are, are you know, applied to it. So you need to be pretty careful. But yeah, that's totally what you would expect at this point, because yeah, as we were saying last night, people are wondering where to put their money. And um, yeah, it, it's almost a no-brainer in some sense, you know, when you're getting a better yield from property than you are from the bank. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because ASIC just came out and has, has said that they want to crack down on fin, what they call finfluencers, people on like Twitter and that, that talk about the share market and that. They never seem, I say they, as in the government authorities, never seem to be as uh, as hot on the property side of things as they are on the share market side of things. But anyway, that's just an observation. I also saw in the paper this morning, um, you know, constantly trotted out is the stories about the first home buyers. So to somebody who's listening to this and they go, well, just how expensive can housing get when, you know, people have to save for 10 years or whatever it is to get on the ladder? Surely it has to stop now. What do you tell people if they come to you as a client, for example? Yeah, I mean, I, I really sympathise with that. You know, as you know, like I do a lot of work with uh, Prosper Australia, um, you know, to, to work on legislation to try and make, to try and stop the, the cycle of boom and bust in the housing market and to try and uh, give affordable options for people and secure accommodation for people. So I think before people get into the market, they always feel a little bit sour about, you know, prices are going up. We're just going to sit back and wait for the market to crash and and. I can tell you, I've, I've had I had a lot of buyers that came on, a lot of first home buyers actually that came on in 2019 after the 2018 downturn because of the Royal Commission into the banks where the market slid back. I think it was around oh, it was medium price of 10%, you know, sort of slid back. Um, it was a really steep downturn that we, that we hadn't experienced for a long time. And uh, first home buyers were kind of sitting on the sidewalk waiting for prices to continue to go down it was like this is the crash we've been waiting for for uh, so long and because as soon as prices started to rocket up in 2019 they just kind of flooded back into the market thinking oh well look you know it's, it's not going to crash we better get in now and it was too late um, understanding the cycle understanding the property cycle is the greatest gift that you can have 
not because it's a fantastic thing for the economy. It really isn't. Rising land prices, you know, um, buoyed on by speculation, are really the worst thing that you can do to the economy because at some point it's going to unravel and you are creating a bigger gap between um, the rich and poor and the landowners and the, you know, the rentiers and the renters, and put it like that. So, uh, but but unfortunately, that's the system that we're caught up in. So everybody can say, well, we really hate property investors. It's one of the things that I hear from first-home buyers very commonly. You know, they watch all the spruikers. They hate real estate agents with an absolute passion. They just see them all as the sharks that are out there. And, uh, and yeah, until they get to the point where they just realize that the, the market, that the crash that they've been waiting for hasn't happened, and then they got to get back into the market. Now, I'm not saying the market's never going to crash. Obviously, that's what we talk, you know, this is the whole point of analyzing what the land cycle is so that you understand when it is going to have that downturn. Um, <clears throat> so that's obviously what we write about. So that's the first thing. Um, but the second thing is, is that once, <laughs> once you get into the housing market, that psychology completely flips because nobody wants to buy a property where the price is going backwards. <laughs> no, when, 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 you know, first home buyers finally do get into the market, unfortunately, they get caught up in the whole investment mindset themselves and, you know, are, are joining the party where they're seeing their property price rise and their wealth increase. So, I mean, my advice right now at this stage is, yeah, prices are high and yes, they're going to go higher. And there's a lot of reasons for that, which obviously we write about, you know, not just in the rising rents and the infrastructure spend and the home buyer grants and all of those things that you see, but also because of the technological revolution, the money that's being made, you know, um, in uh, digital tech. And, um, you know, we talked about crypto and those gains and those in, um, winnings being pumped into the property market. So there's, there's a lot of drivers to this that are going to keep the cycle forging forward until that peak that we're talking about, which will come later in this decade. So my advice to a first-time buyer is, you know, no, unfortunately, you can't look upon a house as a home in this country. You've got to look upon it as, as an investment. You've got to get your, your head out and, and do it accordingly. You don't have to like it, but unfortunately, policy dictates that, that pathway for all of us. Yes, it's an insane system, but we all get on this merry-go-round and <laughs> everybody tries to keep it spinning until it won't, won't anymore. Um, you wear two hats. So you, you write Cycles, Trends and Forecasts where you're giving your broad overview of what's going on in the real estate market, but you're also a buyer's advocate where you're w working directly with clients. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And if someone's interested, if they're, if they're uh, looking for a house or an investor, uh, how you go about doing what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. Um... I mean, all I, I can say, a, a buyer advocate, a good buyer advocate really is your best friend in this market because, um, you know, it's there to analyze the good and the bad about property. It's there to prevent you over overspending on crap property that's not going to go anywhere, right? That's going to land you in trouble. Um, it's there to advise you where to buy and what to buy. And, you know, my whole um, business really runs on a tailored service for people that come that come through the door. So, you know, there's people that come through and they want you to do absolutely everything for them. You know, they've got a budget and they want you to go out and do the whole search process and the assessment and, you know, negotiating on a property. And obviously that's very beneficial, but there's also people that come in and they just want a little bit of advice or somebody that comes in and, you know, they're, they're searching for a home and they just want 
your help in negotiating. But what I can say is everything that I, I do with buyers is to really um, give them as much knowledge as I'm able through the experience that I've got, you know, obviously not just working as a buyer advocate, but also writing about property cycles and the land cycle and how the stock market fits in with that. But And, and also the work that I do at Prosper Australia um, to do with tax reform and how that affects the housing market. So I work very closely with clients to, you know, really do my best to find them something that is, find them a way into the market to the right property for the right price that is going to perform as well as it can and to tailor those services accordingly. But really, as, as I said, a buyer advocate should be your best friend in, in a market where you are getting, you know, like we said, receiving emails that are spruiking buy here, buy there. You're dealing with real estate agents that are working primarily for the vendor. That means that they are never, ever, ever going to be helpful to you in the buying situation outside of their role of trying to get the highest price for the vendor. So you can hate on them as much as you like for the underquoting, which is legally allowed, even though they, they try and crack down on underquoting. There are many loopholes in the law that allow agents to legally underquote, and they do. And that leads buyers into this roundabout where they spend months and months looking for a property. They, they you know, renewing their pre-approvals not getting into the market and then watching prices rise in the interim because they've been led on this merry-go-round as to targeting properties that they can't really afford or that aren't good for them in the first place or that have pitfalls and problems that when they eventually do purchase, they're end they've ended up with something that's not going to perform well and they don't particularly like. So, yeah, anybody that does want advice, you're welcome to reach out, contact me. I always try and give us, you know, a little bit of an indication of a little bit of help um just off the bat so yeah and how are you going in terms of like with your recent clients in terms of negotiations i know you so you sort of say sometimes there's there's scope to work the price down depending on the psychology of the market at the time um yeah a hundred percent the really in every market there is I, I think that you know when you when you work as a buyer in the market and you're negotiating all the time you get great contacts with agents and so you get used to working with the agents and you, you cut through all of all of the uh spruit that most buyers get so there's times where you know i do get offered properties exclusively where other buyers haven't seen them and i'm able to move on a property before anybody else has been through and um obviously you know i mean i've been working in the real estate industry for a long time now but i didn't start off as a buyer advocate i actually started off in the sales environment so i'm very aware of how the tricks of the trade work and how to negotiate the best price. It doesn't always mean we can knock a hundred grand off the price, you know, but there's a vendor behind every house that usually is a little bit savvy themselves on what property's worth. But it, certainly the value in, in the buying side is in the negotiation and understanding the tricks of the trade. So, and it's different by state. So there's some states where you do have to move very quickly. The Eastern board, um, the states, particularly Melbourne and Sydney, the agents will run you up against other buyers and, uh, shop the offers around and open you up for gazumping and all of those tricks that, that buyers get very upset about and they run and contact consumer affairs and unfortunately absolutely nothing's done about it and they spend a lot of money and time chasing after properties. Like I said, they, they get a building inspection and spend money on it and then unfortunately miss out to, to what goes on, on on the West Coast, which is a much slow, which is a much lazier market in that sense as the offers don't get shopped around as much, but the market moves very quickly, just as I said. So understanding 
you know, how to negotiate in any state or territory and how to, to move on property and is really key, is a very important part of the process. So sometimes we can do really good deals. And, and in markets, we have done. I mean, 2018, I, I was writing, you know, around in 2018 because obviously I knew the cycle. I wasn't, you know, I knew the property wasn't going to crash at that point. But any market where you suddenly get a little bit of favorable negotiation conditions in a market where you're confident that we've not reached the peak of the overall cycle, as in the peak before a major downturn, um, then that's a market to, if you're looking to buy, it's a market to move in on because it's certainly better, you know, negotiating in a 2018 market where you know things are going to recover as they did into 2019. Or even in Melbourne now where we've got a little bit more stock on the market and it's just taken that edge of where we were last year because people are moving out of Melbourne. It doesn't mean that Melbourne's dead on the ground. We're going to get immigration. It's not going to kick up in a heartbeat, but, um, you know, there's going to be things that can assist Melbourne's economy to recover over the years. So moving in on a market where the negotiation conditions are good is is a favourable thing to do. Otherwise, you know, you're you're uh, it, it's a, it can be a very painful roller coaster like experience. All righty, beauty. Well, we'll leave it there. I just wanted to get you on to do a like a short update on the real estate market so we can sort of keep tabs on it for everybody. So hopefully we can do it about every quarter. And as you said, if anybody wants to go deeper or whatever, they can give you a call, follow you on Twitter, or sign up to do what we do with Cycles, Trends, and Forecasts. So that's a publication where you do the the property side and then I do the the related stocks on there. So um, we're early on into the year, so there's plenty, plenty more action to come as far as the property cycle goes. Absolutely. And definitely they should sign up to... Uh cycles, trends, and forecasts, because I think that the uh, information that we give in there really is valuable to understanding how and why the cycle works. So it's like a big roadmap that, that gives a little bit of confidence to those people that are maybe a little bit nervous about getting into the market or don't understand how the stock market works, yes. you know, um, the opportunities that are available. I'm going to do a bit of shameless boasting here. We, you saw that letter too, where the, the couple had bought a new car from uh, some of the recommendations. That we made. So that yeah, was pretty cool. So it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we put a lot of effort <laughs> into, yeah, <that's> uh, right. <laughs> into our work. Yeah, so it's great to get that feedback. You know, when you get people that write in and they say, well, you know, we, we listen to you and, yeah, we're doing well. And <laughs> Yeah, it's always good. It's, it's great to hear. It's cool. Hear. Yeah. All right, mate. We'll do it again soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao. Thanks, Cal.